So welcome to another episode of Simulcast and this is our General Club podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel and I'm here today with Risa Lewis. She's an emergency physician and she's director of point of care ultrasound in Denver, Colorado, soon to be Philadelphia, uh, a smack speaker and that's how I know her and a friend of mine. So how are you Risa? Great Vic, great to be here. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a sidestep this month with a paper that looks at simulation for assessment of clinical skills, and in this case, point of care ultrasound. And the paper that Risa has kindly agreed to help us review is called Collecting Validity Evidence for Simulation-Based Assessment of Point of Care Ultrasound Skills. And this is by Jensen et al. in a journal that maybe simulation people don't look at that much, the Journal of Ultrasound Medicine, 2017. So we might just get right into it, Risa. Did you want to tell us what's this paper about and uh, what did they do? Sure, Vic. So this paper caught my eye for a few reasons. First of all, as someone who works pretty focused way in medical education and point-of-care ultrasound, and in my positions where I've worked, I've been asked to help assess learners in point-of-care ultrasound. How to do that is a very hot question in the community, and no one really has found the answer. Uh, I'm a big fan of simulation in general, and I think one of the first articles that caught my eye uh, was one from Academic Emergency Medicine 2009. Gerzadis et al. put forth a study they did where they used the Simman from Liradol and Blue Phantom, a static pelvic model trainer, and they looked at residents' ability to uh, perform pelvic ultrasound. and this hybrid model that used both Simman and the Blue Phantom uh, was felt to be uh, better than just a standard scenario uh, in terms of the residents being able to demonstrate their point-of-care ultrasound skills, their integration into patient care, uh, and also the uh, faculty who, who were evaluating the residents felt it was a better model as well. And the specific case for that study uh, was someone presenting in hypoten hypotensive in, in shock due to a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. So when the authors of the paper that we're reviewing today came out with this, it really caught my eye because they have a very uh, convincing introduction where they talked about the numbers game and that many of us feel that it's not about being able to perform a certain number of ultrasound scans to achieve competency. It's more than that. It can be very resource intensive to try to assess the competency in many of the different point-of-care ultrasound applications for many, many learners uh, in many, many different specialties. The asks and the, the buy-in for point-of-care ultrasound uh, is arrived, it's grown, it's growing, and it's sort of a big task when you're in the position of trying to figure out how to assess all these learners. This paper really has relevance across the board for clinical skills assessment. It's many of the same challenges that we've got in other domains of practice. That is, assessment is resource intensive and sheer numbers are often not a good indicator of competence. So what these authors did was they used a virtual reality simulator, and this was high fidelity, and it was specifically made by a company called Metaphor. It was a transabdominal uh, scan trainer. The study was set uh, in Copenhagen and a few institutions, the med school as well as some hospitals directly in Copenhagen or just outside. And they had as their defined professionals or experts radiologists. And they had defined as their novices med students. The point being and the thought being that med students have had very little, if any, exposure 
to point-of-care ultrasound. Meanwhile, the radiologists have had quite a bit of exposure to point-of-care ultrasound and to performing ultrasound. For those of you listeners, say, from the United States, um, that might be a bit surprising, but in Denmark, uh, radiologists perform ultrasound and have to be competent in ultrasound to um, be certified in their specialty. The authors sought to do the following. They wanted to examine and examine the validity of a simulator test, and this test was the metaphor simulator, specifically looking and examining cases of the FAST exam, the focused assessment of sonography and trauma. They decided to compare the novices, 25 med students, to the ultrasound experts, and these were 10 radiologists. What they wanted to find was two things. Number one, what would be a passing rate uh, for the examination or a passing score? That turned out to be 79%. And what score defines the experts from the non-experts within the radiologist group? And that uh, turned out to be 94%. All right, so this is, again, interesting methodologically, and it is an example, again, of a much bigger field of inquiry, which is how do we test the tests? How do we find evidence that the assessments that we have are good ones? And I think, as with this example, here you've got is the device any good, but also is the process by which people are assessed any good? So I suppose what might be useful, Risa, is for people to get a sense. So when people are actually doing this test, uh, what does it look like? So this is a very interesting simulator, and I've used not the transabdominal model, but I've used their pelvic model. And what they have is a, a probe that's mounted on robotic arms. Those arms have enough of a resistance and a pressure that actually feels very similar to um, the haptics, the feeling of when you're performing actual examination. The person using the simulator then scans a virtual abdomen and meanwhile there are two screens and on the screens you're looking in front of you at an ultrasound uh, scan demonstrating what you're seeing on your patient but also there are three-dimensional cuts that shows your orientation of your probe on the body as well as your anatomy as if you're making dissections through the body. The authors took five specific cases from this scan trainer and each case was of a fast examination and the people performing it were tested on three things. They were tested on number one their ability to locate a specific anatomic area. Uh, number two their actual scanning their sweep and number three, their ability to outline fluid, because in the five cases selected, the FAST examination was positive for free fluid. Okay, so again, it's probably worth pausing there. So they're obviously specific to this clinical skill, but I think this probably points to the way that we do any kind of evaluation of the assessment tasks. And I think what you're saying is, first of all, it has to measure the right thing. So as an expert provider, you would say these are the kind of skills that you expect people to be able to do when they're doing point-of-care ultrasound. I think that's exactly right. And when, when we query the authors, because we did have some correspondence, email correspondence with the first author, just to make some clarifications on the paper and to have some uh, very direct input on, on our discussion, uh, I asked specifically why they chose the FAST examination. And what we were told is that it's felt to be a widely accepted worldwide utilized application. So they decided to use the FAST examination. Uh, now, jumping ahead a little bit, but I want to point out to one of, the, one of the questions, one of the limitations potentially of this paper is their expert group were radiologists, 
But I actually questioned, in general, would a radiologist be coming to the emergency department or the A&E, as some people call it, and performing a fast examination on a blunt trauma patient? And the answer is probably no. Um, however, the authors do acknowledge this as a limitation. And, you know, in the U.S., as an example, it would be the emergency physicians performing the fast examination. The authors did point out that in Denmark, it's often surgeons that may perform an abdominal ultrasound, but their training and the number of scans and the rates at which they actually utilize ultrasound is very variable. So when performing this study, and to your point, because they were specifically looking at the ability of a simulation task trainer to measure what we're trying to measure, i.e. competency, they thought they should select a, hom a homogenous group, and in this case it was the radiologists. So I think that goes to the point about generalizability of the study, but perhaps more generically, it invites us to think about this core concept of establishing validity evidence for any assessment that we're going to do. And I'm going to tread cautiously here. This is an expert area, and I'm not an expert, but I know a little bit from my assessment friends. And I'd encourage people to look at figure one in the paper, which outlines fairly clearly the steps that are required in establishing this validity evidence. The first one, as we said, was to make sure we're assessing the right things. Is it a valid test? And then to step through, are we assessing it in the right way? And this concept's about the groups is the first step i.e. does it triangulate well? Do people who are considered experts by other means score well on the test? There are a number of other tests, but one of the next ones is to see how internally consistent are the items within the test. That is to say, does a expert provider score well across all the items, or are there a couple that seem to be outliers and not very useful in correlating with the others? So it's worth, as I said, really directing our readers to look at that figure one and a caution for all simulation educators looking at using assessment, get some help if you're going to do this because your assessment does need to be defensible and that means it needs to have this validity evidence. So coming back to this paper, that all seems pretty good. Risa, based on what we've seen here, it seems like this actually is a pretty good test. Completely agree and, and just to repeat those numbers, uh, what they report is the mean simulator's test scores for the novices, the med students, was 14.7%. And the median simulator score for the experts was 94%. So those are numbers that sit right with us. You know, someone that's never been exposed, doesn't know anything about ultrasound or the fast examination, is going to get a low score. And the radiologists, who should be quite facile with ultrasound, who are familiar with the fast exam, should score pretty high. So having found that, I suppose the big question is, are you going to be happy then if your trainee has popped in and done their simulator test and, and got a score of 90%? Are they good to go or do you still think there's more to this assessment than the machine? So that's a fantastic question. I think I would be hesitant to just sign someone off after completing this simulation examination, never having seen them hold the probe and perform an ultrasound at the bedside. The attractiveness of something like this is uh, the resource utilization and the lack of need to use so many resources to try to train, assess, and sign someone off as competent uh, in a point-of-care ultrasound examination. 
the authors do acknowledge that you know they use this one simulator made by this one company and this doesn't necessarily give a stamp of universality to all simulation trainers and that in a way that this same rigorous validity test would have to be performed for every simulation um, you know high fidelity low fidelity however it takes the form out there uh, but I think it's very attractive and I think the the needle has been moved further along into being able to utilize a simulation scenario to assess competency and as we started out uh, the background for this article and the impetus for this article is that none of us are satisfied with numbers and in these, the case of the fast examination you can find some studies that say that 10 examinations are enough and some say that 150 examinations are required and if I were to use an example of a lumbar puncture or a rapid sequence intubation, some learners are good and competent and feel comfortable and faculty would sign them off after about three examinations or three procedures and some still give hesitancy and give pause after 25. So there's no number and we want something more than just a number. Ultrasound, we talk about very often, it's about performing it, interpreting it, and then integrating it to patient care. And that just isn't answered by a set of numbers and a checklist. Yes, and I think your phrase, the needle has moved, is a good one. Speaking from a simulation perspective, I think this fits very well with a lot of fields where we're seeing clinical skills increasingly assessed by machines. So as you say, volume isn't good enough, but I would also suggest that in many cases, human assessors are very flawed. And the example I would take is, for instance, assessment of uh, compressions in basic life support. And we know not only is it more efficient for the machine to do the assessment of your depth and rate of compressions, but in fact, far better than the human assessors. So I guess the ultimate implication of this for me is that it fits very well with trends that I'm seeing in simulation about us moving towards more automated assessment where that's appropriate. But I suppose I'm interested, Risa, from the practitioner community and point of care ultrasound, do you think this is going to be acceptable and lead to policy or practice change? I do. I don't think this is going to be an automatic accept and things will change tomorrow, but I think over time uh, more of this literature is going to be read. It's going to be assessed for um, being evidence-based and I think when people have the tools available to them, I think the naysayers out there will say, well, you know, these task trainers are too expensive, we're never going to afford them, we're, you know, a low-resourced uh, education environment. but we know you don't have to necessarily buy the most expensive high fidelity task trainer to be able to integrate simulation in skills assessment and in terms of you know this is a question actually you, you asked just a few minutes ago uh, in terms of the time saved and the resources saved by uh, having to to witness 25 ultrasound examinations as opposed to do the simulation, get, have the, the uh, automated competency get checked, and then let's go to the bedside and let me witness three examinations and three performance of ultrasounds as opposed to all 25. Um, I think it's a game changer and I think it's an, it's an easy sell for those of us that spend a lot of time um, checking people off uh, and assessing people for competency. Yes, and I think what you describe is also, in fact, fairly well established in the assessment literature, which is you can do the checklist and the highly granular assessment, and that has a lot of, uh, can have a lot of validity evidence. 
but it's also very useful to have an expert global assessment, which is what you describe in going to the bedside, because what you tend to pick up with that is a lot of tacit expertise that machines struggle to measure, at least at this point. So I would say what you're describing fits pretty well with a multimodal assessment process on a more generic level. Well, thank you very much, Risa. I think it's been a nice little discussion of some things we haven't talked about as much in Simulcast in terms of thinking about simulation for assessment and thinking about the specific example of point-of-care ultrasound. Uh, anything else you want to say about the paper or indeed any other messages for us here at Simulcast? No, just that I think the more the more we keep our eyes looking at the literature, we're going to see more of these types of papers that marry point-of-care ultrasound with simulation. So I think it would be great to continue these types of discussions. All right, that sounds like a uh, invitation back another time soon, Risa. Thank you very much again for your time.